Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. I want to talk to you today about Christian culturalism. That's a big word. Uh, There's five barriers to that. What got me on this uh, theme really kind of starts back in April. April, remember we had uh, Easter. Easter got me onto the trail for really several, uh, well, April, May, June, and part of July as far as uh, capturing everything that goes along with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's what got me onto my little two-week series on uh, confession and repentance that leads to salvation. It all comes from Easter. And we had uh, three months there of life group lessons. And I just really encourage all of you to get tied into a life group. We have four different ones that are going on. And I really like for each and every one of us here within the congregation to belong to a life group. Uh, the life groups do more than just uh, meet once a month. That is there to really kind of uh, be an extension of the pastor. They help take care of you if you go into the hospital or there's a sickness of any kind, if there's a, a, a funeral situation. They help out in all those areas and in any other area that they might be of, of assistance to you. So we just want everyone in the congregation to belong to a life group. But we had uh, three months there that went along with uh, salvation, and that all come from Easter. And that what's got me on this uh, series. Uh, well, I'm not sure how, it's not really necessarily a series, but what got me onto this message today would be uh, 4th of July. Because I am very patriotic, I love my country. How many of you love your country? Our country has its faults. But I love the great United States of America, and I challenge anyone to go anywhere else and find a place that's any better than the United States of America. But we sure have our challenges today, and that's some of the things I want to talk to us about today, the five barriers to Christian culturalism. And I also want to just thank my good friend, uh, Pastor Ron Johnson. Uh, Jr. for today's materials. I've gleaned a lot of this from him. He is at Crown Point. Uh, he's uh, the family that Brock lived with, our son lived with for 10 years, lived in their basement as they raised eight children, and it was chaotic, crazy, and uh, Brock uh, really went into the ministry from Taylor University uh, through the Johnson family. We're so grateful to them, but I want to thank him for the materials uh, today. So let me briefly explain uh, the, the, the transfer, the uh, segue of coming from the message of salvation into this message today. Uh, we're, we're not only saved, you know, whenever I talk about salvation, we're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. Amen? Somebody mentioned about this here. Let me get this out. Sorry about that. We're saved from something, but we're also saved to something. And we are saved to really be participants of a kingdom. God has a kingdom. 
And he is the king. Jesus, his son, is king. And so we are saved to be participants in that kingdom. So we're saved to eternal life, which begins here on earth. It doesn't, it's not eternal life does not begin once you die. Eternal life begins the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. And so when we enter into that eternal life, there are things that we should be doing, things that we need to be occupying our time with to establish his kingdom. You remember the, the word says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you and I are supposed to be helping to establish his kingdom here upon the earth. And there's a culture to develop and to protect. And so there is an active duty on our parts as believers in Jesus Christ, not just be Sunday churchgoers and that's it. Once you receive Christ, that's just the beginning. That's not the end of all. And we need to be creating a, a healthy culture. You want healthy cultures in every aspect of your life. You need to have a healthy culture in your home. Your children need to have a safety, a place of safety to come to. In your home, there needs to be a culture that is loving and caring and is uplifting. And whenever you are at work, there needs to be a, a healthy culture. How many of you have left a job because they had an unhealthy culture? How many of you are just trying to muddle through because you're at a place that is an unhealthy culture? We want healthy cultures in our places of work, even in our recreation, our R&R. We want a healthy culture in those areas. We camp, and I don't like camping at places, in fact, I don't camp any longer at places that are party, known as party places to camp. I can't R&R at a place where this party is worth wild and crazy. So we want a healthy culture in that area as well, in our community, in our country. And you know, here in our country, that was the intent of our founding fathers, was to create a healthy culture for an entire nation. And how did they do that? They established it upon the Word of God. And that is what really leads to a healthy culture. And that's what I'm talking about, about Christian culturalism. We need to develop a healthy culture. But you know, there's tremendous attacks today on us doing just that. In June, it was declared Gay Pride Month. And the whole LGBTQ agenda, they are against us having a Christian culture here in America. And the, uh, abortion, we have Black Lives Matter, we have critical race theory, we have cancel culture, we have the woke movement, we have uh, U.S. Olympians disrespecting our flag. I mean, there's many things that are trying to attack our healthy Christian culture here in America. Defund the police. You know that there are uh, just recently, there are 45, this is just outside of our borders, but it'll, it'll come here. 45 Christian churches were burnt to the ground in Canada. Marxist ideologies and socialism, it goes on and on about the things that are attacking our nation and trying to remove us, remove God from our nation, and to upend our Christian culture. And we need to be active in making sure that we maintain a Christian culture. 
And how many of you know that in order to do that, the church has got to get involved. We have to be involved in these issues. We need to be influencers in these issues, not just allowing those issues to influence us. You've heard me say this before, if you've been here very long, that we always train up our children that they should be the peer putting on the pressure. There's peer pressure, amen? Why not we be the peers who are putting on the pressure? That's the way it should be. Raise your children that way, to where they are the peer who's putting on the pressure rather than vice versa. And it's the same way with the church. We need to be the ones who are the influencers of the world, not them influencing us. And how many churches are caving into a lot of the things that are going on into, in our culture who are uh, becoming uh, wishy-washy on some of the issues and we have to do all of this in a loving manner. Obviously, we speak the truth in love. Just, let's just, you've heard me say this before too as well, with the LGBTQ, the whole movement there. We love those people. We truly do. That's why we want to warn them about the direction they are going. We don't speak against those things because we hate them. We speak against those things because it's anti-Bible, it's anti-Christ. And we need to stand up and take our rightful position as spokesmen for the kingdom and convince them that the direction they are going is not right. It's because we want to save them from hell. And so we have to be involved in all of these things. I think it's amazing that uh, June, as I said, has declared Gay Pride Month. Easter has one day, Christmas has one day, Gay Pride Movement has a month, and I'd like to see some of those things change. All right, I could speak on each of those issues today, but that's not really my intent. My intent today is for us to look into what the church uh, is to do about these issues and other culture issues and the effect that these culture issues are having on the church. That's why we are going to talk about the five barriers today. So what is Christian culturalism? In a nutshell, Jesus is this. Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So what that means is, is that we can't take any of those things that are coming against our culture and say, well, we don't want to talk about that. We have to sidestep that. We have to take it easy on that because that may, may not be the most popular thing to talk about. Uh, you may chase some people off. Uh, you may offend someone. Well, we're not intentionally out to offend anyone. We're not intentionally out to, to drive people off. But seeker friendliness can't be the main objective of the Church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom must go forth. That has to be our utmost. To, for God to be glorified, for Jesus to be lifted up, that should be our ultimate purpose. And so for us to sidestep some of these issues is exactly opposite of what we should be doing and act, uh, totally opposite of what Jesus ever did. Jesus never avoided controversy. He never sidestepped the issues. He always hit them straight on. Matthew 6 and verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. 
Matthew 24, 14 was referred to this morning in Sunday, in Jim's Sunday school class. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And the gospel of the kingdom, you see, we belong to a kingdom. When, what that means is, is that there is this kingdom that is supposed to be here upon the earth, and we have a king, we listen to him, we get our marching orders from the king, we are told how to conduct our everyday lives, we're told how to conduct ourselves within, the morals, the morality of a nation comes from our king, amen? And so we need to follow after those things with our whole heart and not be wishy-washy whenever there are issues that come up that are counter-cultural to the kingdom. Psalm 72, 19 says, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Hallelujah. That's our responsibility. Let's fill the whole earth with his glory. And we can't do that if we're going to sidestep some of the issues that are attacking us. We are in a battle. So it's the responsibility of the church to cultivate the culture of the kingdom here on the earth. And the church cannot be irrelevant which means she cannot remain silent on the issues that form culture and morality. And I think in many situations, the church has become irrelevant. And we have to correct that. It also means that there, there's a battle to be fought concerning his kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy doesn't happen by accident. It's not handed to us. We have to fight for it. And it's a glorious battle to be involved in. Because do you realize the battle is not for us to win? The battle has already been won. Jesus won the battle on Calvary. So the battle is already won. It's not a battle for us to win. It's just a battle for us to fight. It's a fight for the faith. We fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. Now, concerning truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, there's an attack on truth today. You know, what is true to you isn't necessarily true to me. It's called relativism. It may be relative to you, but it's not relative to me. Something else is relative to me, and it may not be relative to you. So truth is subjective rather than truth being absolute. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are after truth. Hallelujah. Not people's opinions, not people's desires, uh, not sinful uh, wickedness just because that's something that you desire. No, we want what is true. John 18, 37, 38. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. We are of the truth, if you've received Christ as Savior. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And we have, what's sad today is we have people who are not even asking that question any longer. They want to avoid truth. 
I'm not even going to ask the question what is truth. I don't care what is truth. I want to live the way that I want to live, and I will do whatever it takes to fulfill that. And if you're going to speak truth, I want nothing to do with you. And so we have to be agents of truth. You know, people like truth until it conflicts with their lifestyle, their pleasure, their selfish ambitions. Truth has become relative, as I said. You know, there's fake news, for example. Uh, many do not care to take the time to find out what they're being told, whether it's true or not. We sit there and watch the news, and through a liberal media, uh, we, many times we just take in everything that they say, we should not be doing that. Uh, I was riding on my lawnmower this, this week, I was riding along and all of a sudden I felt my watch vibrate and I looked down and said, you have achieved your 10,000 steps for the day. And I was happy about that, even though it wasn't true. And that's kind of the way we can live. We can hear this stuff that's not even true and be happy about it. We have to make sure that we adhere to the Word of God in every area of our life. We know that it's true, and whether I like it or I don't, that is truth. And here's the great thing about truth. Here's the great thing about the gospel. Here's the great thing about God himself. If he says it, that's going to be the best thing for us. We may not like it at the time, but if we'll adhere to it, if we'll walk in it, if we will make him king of kings and lord of lords in our lives, we will find out that that is the best thing for my life. And when we surrender to the only true and living God, we find out it's a great way to live. And that's what we want to spread throughout the world. Hallelujah. Jesus never avoided or denied truth. And I hope to share uh, these five things this morning that are barriers to the Christian culture that are, that are truth as well. So, let's get started. Some of these five overlap each other. The first one I want to talk about this morning is spiritual passivism. I've already talked on, uh, touched on each one of these already, but we're going to go a little more in detail. Spiritual passivism. The spiritual love boat, rather than realizing we are actually to be on a battleship, is really spiritual passivism. I love the whole message of love. God is love. We need to be talking about love. But also, there's another side to all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, and that is we're in a battle. And so we always can't be on the love boat. At some time or another, we have to get on the battleship. The spiritual passivism says this, don't confront, don't rock the boat, don't object, don't hurt anybody's feelings, mind your own business. This means to conform, to allow whatever, to basically sit down and shut up, lie down and play dead. And many churches have given in to that. And I'm saying we cannot be a church like that. We must be a people who stand up for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We must speak the truth in love, but as I've already said, stand up for righteousness and not be swayed or deterred or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And 
That is not spiritual passivity. Getting involved in the war, taking on our battle position, putting on our spiritual armor is not passive at all. So the church that becomes passive will become irrelevant to its culture and ineffective to the place of the distinction. I truly believe that. If we become so spiritually passive, I believe that that church, I'm talking about an individual church now, we have the church at large, we have individual churches of the church at large. If we become spiritually passive, we will become extinct. Secondly, gospel minimalism. We have spiritual passivism. Secondly, is gospel minimalism. Reducing the gospel to only salvation. Get people saved and that's it. Obviously, salvation is extremely important, but it's only the beginning. It's home plate. But how many of you know when you're playing the game, you have to go to first, second, and third, and then come back to home plate? Salvation is home plate, and there's, but that's just the beginning. We have to get involved. We have to do the things that we need to be doing to move forward, to make the home run, or to score. Hallelujah. So we have to round the bases. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of the kingdom message, a king to pursue and to serve, and that is the entire gamut of discipleship. And we're... Hopefully in the future, we're going to be launching more into discipleship, training and equipping. Uh, Brian Wise is putting together a great discipleship training program. Uh, we're going to become a part of that. Looking forward to it. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, And he himself came, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, excuse me, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints... For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that my job, Pastor Josh's job, is for us to train the, the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not just for those who we hire in the fivefold. It's not just for the pastors to do all the work. We are to train you up so that you can be involved in the work of the ministry. And so all of us need to be involved in making sure that we don't have gospel minimalism, making sure that we don't have uh, spiritual irrelevance. And we do that in all the areas in which you, you live. We have to take our faith outside the four walls of the church. We need to take our faith to the school board, we need to take our faith into the schools. We need to take our faith into where we work. Every aspect of life needs to have our influence of being a Christian in it. Hallelujah. Man, that's good, Ron. I'm glad Okay, we have spiritual passivism and we have gospel minimalism. You know... I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but you remember just not too many years ago where everyone had a respect for the Word of God. Whether you was a believer or whether you 
weren't a believer, everyone still had a respect for the Word. They didn't, many of them didn't understand it, and many of them didn't even want to understand it, but they still had a respect for it. And we are moving into a day where that's no longer true. And so we have our work cut out for us, and we all need to be involved. Thirdly, well, firstly, once again, spiritual passivism. Secondly, gospel minimalism. Thirdly, is a mouthful, eschatological escapism. Eschatological escapism. Eschatology is the study of the last things or the last days. Escapism is a mindset that just get me out here, out of here sooner than later. Let's uh, hide out in our bunker and let's just pack in our survival supplies and let's just hang on until the rapture. And then, you know, there is a mindset like that. And I'm wanting to tell us, let's not have that mindset of escapism, of end times, let's just get out of here sooner than later. How about if we had the mindset that I want to be here until the last person possible can be saved? Maybe that's a mindset we should have. If we had a heart for people like we really should, we're not wanting to be out of here as soon as possible. Let's try to hang around as long as possible and try to get people into the kingdom. So there's this eschatological mindset of escapism to where let's just get out of this mess. Well, how many of you know that this mess is getting darker, but that makes us even brighter? The church should be rising up and being everything that she should be. This is our moment. This is the time for us to rise up and to allow our light to shine like never before and to cause people to... You know, there's a real hunger out there for Jesus Christ today. Do you realize that today, today, the greatest revival, the greatest convert group today are Muslims? They're also the fastest growing religion. But you know how they are growing the fastest? By birth rate only. They have 6.5 children per family. And Christians are falling behind in that area because we have fallen back to 1.5 per Christian family. They are increasing just by birth alone. But the largest group who are coming to Christ are Muslims. There's a revival going on in the, in the, in the Muslim community. That's awesome. That's wonderful. They are the ones, many of them, who want to chop their head off. But praise God, many of them are coming to Christ. We have a responsibility to let our light so shine in this world of darkness. And I'm just asking you this morning, be involved in what God is doing today. Be involved in kingdom work. And don't be afraid. If you stand up, there's going to be somebody who doesn't like you. There may even be somebody here this morning who doesn't like this message. I'm sorry. But I'm not going to change that message because somebody doesn't like it. We have to be spiritually set. Our eyes must be set on the prize. And the prize is Jesus Christ. And we have to strive towards that. And we have to stand up for the gospel. And even though some people don't like it, that's just the way it is. There's always going to be an enemy. 
So we might as well just go ahead and get involved and realize that we're on the victorious team. Hallelujah. Doesn't mean there'll be hardships. Sure there will be. Doesn't mean it might get uncomfortable at times. That's our biggest problem here in America. We have made comfort a God. And we have to begin to get that out of our heads that God is not really interested in our comfort. We need to be interested in what God is interested in, and that is kingdom work. Hallelujah. So the world is only going to get, uh, there's a mindset that the world is only going to get worse and worse, and the church only gets weaker and weaker. Do you know that that is not true? The church is not going to get weaker and weaker. Now, I, I agree that the secular world is only, all, uh, only going to become more secular. But a holy and righteous church should be getting more holy and more righteous. Hallelujah. And our light should be shining brighter and brighter every day. Matthew 24 tells us that because of trials and tribulations, the love of many will wax cold and there will be a great falling away. But those who persevere till the end will be saved. The days we are living in is not a good time to get soft and to become spoiled. It's a time to get prepared and war ready for a battle that must be fought, but it's a battle that's already been won. Do you realize that we have many people who are falling away, but a large part of that is our fault as churches across America because of escapism, because of, well, the world's just going to get darker and darker, instead of preaching the victorious church in the end times. Yes, there's a great falling away because we are not showing our young people that the church is going to be strong in the end. The church is going to be victorious in the end. They hear doom and gloom. Well, who wants to belong to doom and gloom? So it's our responsibility to train up our young people to know that the church is going to be victorious. The church is going to be awesome in the end time. Will you be a part of that? Will you get involved in what God's doing? Will you be a part of that victorious church? I hope you will be. Praise the Lord. You know, I do personally think that we have some tough times ahead. I really do. But that means that it's even more important to press in rather than to give in. The mentality that things will get darker and darker, but we'll be taken out of here before it gets really bad, that's the escapist mentality. And that has no hope. And it paints, paints a picture opposite of the victorious church. Are you with me? Can anybody say amen? Great. So, there is a battle to be fought, but I'm so glad that the war has been already been won. Now, we have two sets of clothing that we are to wear, and we're to wear both of those sets of clothing at the same time. In Ephesians 6, it said, we clothe ourselves with the armor of God, gird our waist with truth, our whole reproductive area is to be girded with truth. We pass that, that means we pass that on from generation to generation. 
We have colleges, we have uh, even some of our high schools now are not teaching truth or teaching that our country is evil and we're supremacists and all these false things. But we are girded with, with truth and we need to be passing that on to our next generations. Hallelujah. So we gird our waist with truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness. We cover our feet with the boot of the gospel of peace. We have the shield of faith. There's the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're to put all that on each and every day of our lives. Put on that armor. And then Colossians 3 tells us to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. So in this battle, we're not out to offend people. We're not out to... Uh, ridicule people or to put people down. That is not our heart at all. No, we are going to have tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering towards anyone, even though they're opposed to us. And we don't adhere to their ideals. We're going to speak the truth in love, but we still stand against those things. So religious liberty is the battle cry for America. Religious liberty, and it is being strongly attacked. Secular humanism, uh, humanism is being promoted heavily through media, the arts, education, politics, and in many circles, even in religion. Denominations. There's two main groups of concern today that, that are rising rapidly. Have you ever heard of nuns? I'm talking about Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, there's nuns that is quickly arising. Nuns are those who have no affiliation with any church, with any religion, or even any political party. They call themselves nuns. There's no affiliation with anything. And they believe in secular humanism to the mass. That's one group. The other group is those who are totally hostile to people of faith, especially those of Christianity. Have you noticed there's an extreme uh, hostility towards especially Christians? We have those two groups. We have nuns and we have those who are totally hostile towards us. So in all of that, we have to make sure that we are not becoming, uh, what's the second one? Let me get back to my note here. Third one, actually. It's here someplace. We have spiritual passivism, we have gospel minimalism, and then eschatological escapism. We have to be people who are not escaping. We are going to hang around here until we see the last person saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me shuffle some papers. Fourthly, Christian compartmentalism. Christian compartmentalization. Today's culture attempts to divide into two separate groups what is now referred to as the sacred and the secular, the religious stuff and then everything else. There's, it's called Christian compartmentalization. So some people have this attitude. Hey, you know, that's, that's nice that you believe in some mystical high power. It's nice that you believe in what you call, you know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, whatever. Just keep that in your church buildings. So it's Christian compartmentalism. They're trying to put us 
in a box by ourselves and compartmentalize us. So they don't belong in the marketplace is what these people say. They don't, you don't belong in our schools. You don't belong in our government. This is the separation of church and state that has gone among Separation of church and state, most of you may understand that that is not in our Constitution, separation of church and state. Our founding fathers intended that government not interfere with church. That's the separation of church and state that they were talking about. Our, found, our founders intended that government not interfere with church, but their intent was that church would have a great influence in government. In fact, it, uh, it was one of the utmost of their desires for religion, Christianity, to have tremendous influence in government. So, you know, there used to be word, a word that we used for someone who kept their sacred separate from their secular who kept their Christian life separate from their marketplace life. That used to be called hypocrisy. Whenever you lived one way here on Sunday, but you lived a different way on Monday, that was called hypocrisy. But now, today, hypocrisy is being disguised as a virtue. And we have to make sure that we are not that way. We are not going to compartmentalize our lives. I'm a Christian on Sunday, I'm a Christian on Monday, I'm a believer on Tuesday, I'm, I'm a lover of God on Wednesday. You see what I'm saying? We need to carry that throughout the entire week, and we don't compartmentalize it. So, when the gospel states that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that means that it is logical, it is common sense, it is rational, it's true knowledge and real wisdom. And its influence is to affect every aspect of life. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all. Amen? He's Lord of government. He should be Lord of our schools. He is Lord of where you work. Whether they act like it or not, He is to be Lord of all. So when the gospel states, uh, no, no wonder our young people, as I mentioned before, are losing interest in the church because we are not really proclaiming that. We're not training up our kids to have your Christian values in every area of your life. You go to school, you leave your Bible alone. You go to school, you don't talk about God. You see, that's what the world is trying to put upon us, and many people have came into that rather than saying, no, I'm a believer at school just as much as I'm a believer at church. That's the way we have to approach it. And we stand up for the gospel. So, there will be, as I mentioned before, there will be that backlash for taking this kind of stand. But, God is my provider. I think it's time that we start living supernaturally. What if things started coming against you to the place where it affected whether you kept your job or not? Whether you were popular or not? I think we need to begin to lay those things down and say it doesn't matter, I'm standing up for the gospel, and God will be my provider. Hallelujah. That's kingdom kind of living, rather than my kingdom 
of living. Now, Ron Johnson, he says this in this compartmentalization. He says, pastors have been re reduced to being chicken blessers. You know what that means. The only time that there's prayer is maybe whenever there's a gathering someplace, any place, it doesn't matter where. And we ask the pastor to bless the chicken. And really, you get to thinking about that's exactly what the world is trying to do, is to minimize, to compartmentalize the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's trying to weaken the pulpit. It's trying to take us out as being influencers of a world where we need to be the greatest influencers. And being a chicken blesser is not what God has called us to be. And you know, the church has not done a very good job of preparing the saints to be battle tested. I really don't think we've done that good of a job of preparing people to be battle tested. And you know, that includes suffering for the sake of the gospel. None of us like that word, suffering, suffering. But you know, to be a true believer, we are to suffer. And I'm not talking about suffering because of cancer. Yeah, we're going to have that too in this life. We'll have tribulation. I'm talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever we take a stand, there may be some suffering. There may be some backlash. And whenever we don't enter into those areas, it's because we're being disobedient. We're out of the will of God. We're truly When we suffer for the kingdom, it's going to be really a blessing. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 4. Verses 12, 13, and 16 says this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you, are, that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this man. Isn't that our biggest reason that we don't stand up sometimes? Because we don't want to suffer. We don't want, I, don't, I don't like people not liking me any more than you do. I don't like to be persecuted because of my stance. I don't want people not coming to church for a particular reason. But we have to stand for the gospel regardless of those things. We have to take on that kind of suffering. After all, what all did Christ do for us? Hallelujah. 1 John 5, 4 says this. This is out of the NLT. It says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Isn't that great news? That's a good reason for us to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ because every child of God defeats this evil world. Even the Bible calls this world evil. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Hallelujah. Lastly, we have scriptural relativism. Relativity, I've talked on it already a little, and that's the concept of truth and moral values that are not absolute, but are relative to a person or a group holding it. So scriptural relativism means this, 
that some people hold uh, this scripture okay, but this scripture here is not okay. That doesn't line up with my lifestyle. So it's, it's relative. Scripture becomes relative to their preferences. Scripture does not tend or bend to our preferences. Our preferences are to bend to Scripture. And so we cannot have scriptural relativism. And I believe that there's a crisis today in understanding authority in this area. Our culture in America has become awash in moral relativism, which leads us to this mindset of choice. Have you ever thought about whenever you go into Meyer or Walmart or any other supermarket and think of the choices that you have? You go over and you look at the cereals, and there's 50 different kinds of cereals, right? There's, I mean, even the celery, you can pick out three different kinds of celery, you know, organic and uh, whatever. There's all kinds, there's, there's ones that's already been cleaned for you. There's just all kinds. We have choices galore because of the blessing of God. And we've made the choice of God. So we have to make sure that we understand that we don't have choices when it comes to the Word of God. We adhere to what God has chosen. I can't pick and choose what scriptures I like and what scriptures I don't like. I have to try to understand the scriptures that are there. That's the other unique thing about Christianity. Christianity is, is, a, is a religion of revelation. It's not just these hard facts and figures. It's, it's revelation that comes to us. We have to have the things of the Spirit revealed to us to understand them. And so I want the Spirit of God to reveal to me the true meaning of every scripture, and I will make that relevant in my life, not try to get the Word to support what I want in my life. So scriptural relativism. You know, there's those today who are trying to force our police force to relinquish their authority. That's that authority. We, we don't want to give in to authority. But in the kingdom, we have authority. He is king, and we have to give in to his authority. The world is trying to eliminate authority. Let's just get rid of the police. Isn't that a bright idea? The authority of God's word is now totally trampled by secular humanists. So the spiritual aspect of the church large and the local body is affected by this relativism, making it scriptural relativism. Okay. So in order, or in other words, scriptural authority no longer holds a place of reverence and respect that once did, which makes it difficult to stand our ground on biblical issues that have become politicized. However, stand we must. You know, uh, as I already said, uh, up until five or ten years ago, I think most Christians, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a real respect for the word, there was respect even for the property of churches. Up to five or ten years ago, I think most churches in America left their doors unlocked, but most churches no longer do that. Uh, Today, houses of worship are broken into on a regular basis, and you used to never see that. So there's a, a deterioration within our culture of respect for the things of God. So kingdom culture is always counterculture to anything here on earth. 
I apologize for reading so much. I don't normally do that, but there's just so much information here I want to make sure we understand this morning. Any culture here on earth, it does, uh, they seem to be all about me. Culture today is all about me, but the kingdom of God culture is all about him. It's totally opposite, and we need to be about the kingdom. So it's not a popular thing today, but it's something we must stand for, and we must recognize the authority and follow after it and respect it. So to this point uh, that I'm talking about here with spiritual relativism, uh, that's where a person or a group such as a group chooses which scriptures it will use and adhere to. We only use the scriptures that line up with what I agree with. That's scriptural compartmentalizing. Uh, we must be a people who we take the whole counsel of God. We believe the whole word of God. If it says it and I don't agree to it, then I need to change my thinking about it. I need to learn from it. I need to have revelation on it. And I need to line my life up with it, whether I like it or not. Praise the Lord. So in order for us to live a, a kingdom culture life, which is this Christ, Christian culturalism, we must engage the culture that fights against it. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that just reminds me once again that many people believe, well, you should get involved uh, in what's going on within your schools. We shouldn't be involved in government. But Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord of government. He's Lord of our schools. And we need to make sure that he stays there. We need to be involved in it. So we're commanded to take him to the ends of the earth, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to stand up for what the kingdom represents. And we are going to, when we do that, we are going to transform our communities. We really will. But if we stay silent, if we avoid the topics, if we sidestep the issues, then the culture is going to overtake us rather than us overtaking them. And I believe that we as a church right here, Harmony Christian Church, I believe that we will be ones who will rise up. We will be ones who stand up for the kingdom of God and its culture. And we will see our area, our community, affected in a tremendously positive way. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. That's one of those that I know is maybe a tough one, maybe even a set through, but I just think it's important in our day that we're living in that we hear these kind of messages. There's too many churches that are avoiding uh, what we're really supposed to be all about. Father, we bless you for today. I would pray that your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that we as a body of believers, would be involved in causing your kingdom to come here on earth. We bless you. May you be high and lifted up. May you be glorified. 
We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has come as our comforter, as our guide. We bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.